0: Welcome, my name is Sam Ford. I'm the lead pastor of Restoration Road Church. This is the first session in a five session study called Road 101. This is a brief study that is designed to introduce you to our church, Restoration Road Church. It's a course that's offered to everyone, but required for anyone who wishes to become a covenant member of our family and or pursue leadership. Now, these five sessions serve as a starting point, really a basic one-on-one class that explains who we are, what we believe, and what we do, and why we do it. Now, we hope that this time in this class will answer some commonly asked questions about the gospel of Jesus, the body of Jesus, or the church, the mission of Jesus, and how that all finds expression here at Restoration Road Church. Now, all five classes are essential to understand our beliefs and our philosophy of ministry. We recognize that uh, certain circumstances often make attendance in our live class on Sunday mornings difficult, and so potential members must attend, though, at least three of the five classes in person, and you are allowed to listen to a couple of the audio sessions online to make up the classes you missed. And while this class Endeavors to cover most issues and questions that you might have. We understand that it's not going to answer everyone, and so we encourage you to send any and all questions that are not addressed in the class to the church elders at elderteamartychurch.com. There is a study guide available for this class. Um, you can obtain that on our website. Um, But it will provide uh, information that we will include in this class, uh, and it will be helpful for you to follow along as I'm teaching. So the five sessions that we're going to go through uh, are called First Gospel Identity. This first session introduces you to the purpose of the class, the brief history of the church, and really spends most of its time on the gospel and explaining what the good news of Jesus Christ is The second session is called Gospel Ministry. This session explains how our gospel identities give direction to our priorities in ministry. Our third is Gospel Doctrine, and this session speaks to what we believe as a church doctrinally. And you'll be guided through an abridged doctrinal statement that we use for membership and explain some of our doctrinal distinctives. The fourth session is called Gospel Mission. This focuses on the church, uh, the household, the body and bride of Christ. Uh, and we will explore what the Bible says a church is and what a church must do to actually be a church, including uh, explaining how we view leadership and how our leadership functions. Lastly, is gospel membership, and this explains the meaning and purpose. Uh, or importance of membership in our church, and how uh, that works uh, as a church that is elder-led versus elder-ruled. So we'll explain that. So to begin, the story of our church. um, Our church begins in really back in May 2006, uh, when a small group of friends embarked on a journey of faith. Uh, We were not necessarily as ready as we were willing Um, to respond to the call of Jesus to plant a church uh, in Marysville, Washington. Um, Really, this small group of probably a dozen people really didn't know what we were doing, Uh, but we followed Jesus, listened to Jesus, talked to Jesus, and waited for Jesus to gather his people. And in a brief amount of time, through the summer and into the fall, he birthed what became known as Damascus Road Church. Now, we had joined the Acts 29 Church Planting Network that same year, uh, and we really began by worshiping in a small living room uh, in Lake Stevens. And within a few weeks, we had enough people uh, to graduate to a three-car garage lined with black black plastic and lawn chairs. I'm sure the neighbors believed that we were somewhat cultish. Um, But as more families joined our mission, we eventually purchased a trailer, set up our services in a cafeteria in an elementary school in Marysville. Uh, We officially launched public services on November 6, 2006, Uh, and over the many years, things changed. The size of programs, our buildings, uh, our logos, uh, you know, just different things changed, but ultimately what remained the same was our conviction that everything was uh, from, for, and by Jesus. Now, in 2011, uh, we planted our first church out of Damascus Road, and that is called Communion Church in Mount Vernon Washington. At the same time, we founded what is the Three-Strand Church Network for the purpose of really just accountability and unity and cooperation amongst churches that weren't affiliated necessarily with larger denominations um, or necessarily networks that function that way. And we together were committed to fulfilling the great commandment, loving one another, loving God, and then together fulfilling the great commission by making disciples and planting churches. And we accomplished that and continued to work together to that end. Now, a few months after planting uh, Communion Church, the leadership of Damascus Road, uh, having sent out 40 to 50 people probably, began to discuss uh, planting next and what would be next. Uh, And eventually, we discussed planting either in Arlington or Snohomish because people were coming from both areas to our church in Marysville. So after much prayer and fasting, we decided to launch a dependent church campus uh, instead of an independent church plant. Um, we believe that, that binding together in what amounts to a multi-site model uh, was a good way to leverage our resources pragmatically. Um, and so we planted and launched Damascus Road Church Snohomish in January 2000, 2013, and we did have a plan to move to more distinct campuses at some point. Um, Now the campus began to grow um, and it was an evening service uh, at 6 p.m. and we had multiple services in the morning at Marysville and after establishing a solid core the elders decided to move to mornings and to lease a building in downtown Snohomish and as planned um, they began a six-month transition and that was a little bit of an accelerated timeline we discovered that uh, much of the complexity and and what we thought would be a helpful cooperation was actually hurting some of the leadership. It was hurting some of the congregation in that um, they weren't being encouraged to commit to one community or another. And the communities were distant enough and different enough that we needed to distinguish. And so we did distinguish um, in 2014, uh, and it became Restoration Road Church. Each church Um, became, if you will, a sister church uh, with its own leadership, its own kind of vision, and its own, uh, really, identity. Uh, Most recently, in June of 2019, Restoration Road Church uh, merged with or adopted uh, a church called Redemption Church. Uh, These two churches shared many things, including theology, philosophy of ministry, and even geography of mission. And so after years of fruitful relationship, Uh, These two congregations came together, the leadership came together, staff came together, uh, and that is how we exist right now as one church under the name Restoration Road Church. And so that is our story. Um, If you're in the class, we would ask for your story, kind of explaining how you came here uh, and and what um, it is that led you to Restoration Road Church. Uh, So in the membership interview, should you decide to make that decision, we'll want to know that story. But truly, the story that we are all in is what is often called the story of God. In your study guide, this is on page six. And what we're really talking about is um, the story that God began before the foundation of the world that climaxes in the gospel, the person and work of Jesus Christ, and is yet really to... Uh, end or to come to its completion now in defending and explaining christianity we believe that every christian should be able to tell the basic story of the bible the basic story from genesis to jesus or from creation to recreation Um, we understand that this story provides a context to um, who Jesus is and what he did. And without this story as a backdrop and a context, it's really hard to understand some of the events, if not all of them, um, in terms of the gospel. Now, our story um, helps us understand, and that I mean the bigger story, uh, where we come from, why we're here, and, and where we're going as a people, just as our individual stories uh, help us understand those things. So the basic story is that in the beginning, God created through his word, and he simply spoke and brought the world into existence where there was once nothing. His two first kids, Adam and Eve, were were created to express their commitment to the rule and reign of God by trusting his word, and they were commanded that they could eat whatever they wanted to, except they were not to eat from the one forbidden tree. Now, because of Uh, They were tempted, if you will. Um, They made a decision to doubt God's word. And so they rejected God's rule, bringing sin into the world and really death to all mankind. And so as the story continues, Genesis 12 has God coming to a man named Abraham. And since before the foundation of the world, it was God's plan to restore his rule and to create, if you will, a new humanity. And so what God did with Abraham was speak this word of promise. It's a very similar word to to spoken throughout Scripture, uh, first in probably Genesis 3 and then with Abraham and then with Isaac and Jacob and, and all the way through to Jesus. And this word of promise really shaped Abraham's life. He moved from where he was familiar, Ur, to Canaan, a place he had never been to. He spent his life nomadically, and he really just listened to God's direction. Um, God was ultimately reestablishing his rule through his word. And Paul described this promise to Abraham as the gospel announced in advance. Galatians 3, 8. Now, uh, in time, um, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, um, Jacob's uh, name is changed to Israel. He has 12 sons, which become the 12 tribes of Israel. But ultimately, uh, his people find themselves in Egypt after having been saved from a famine. You can read that at the end of Genesis. And this story of redemption and liberation from slavery in Egypt is really the core story in the people of God. Um, and ultimately God brings his people out and gives his law or his word um, that will rule his people, his, his covenant, if you will, um, that ultimately defines and, and liberates his people. See, Pharaoh's rule had been harsh and cruel, but God's law uh, was designed to actually be a loving protection Um, not to be oppressive, um, but it was to ensure that everyone and and all things were provided for and and accounted for. And so God's people lived under his reign through obedience to his word, um, and they were to be separated and distinguished as such uh, and be a light to the nations as a people who were distinguished as God's people. Now, uh, eventually and many times, uh, God's people rejected his word uh, the people asked for a king because they ultimately wanted to be ruled like the nations around them and not by God and his word. And so God gave him a king, but at the same time, he raised up prophets uh, and 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 he would perpetually call his people back to his word. Uh, and the prophets also promised um, that God would send a new king to establish a liberating rule in a new kingdom. And we know that king was Jesus. Was, the Bible says that this word Uh, became flesh, right? And and that Jesus, who is the word, began to dwell among us. And the king had arrived, but he didn't conquer his enemies and establish his kingdom in the way anyone would expect. But the news of the arrival of the king and what the king had done is really what is the gospel. So the gospel uh, is the good news that God became man in the person of Jesus Christ, Now, according to God's redemptive plan, he lived the life that we should have lived, and he died the death that we should have died. Um, But three days later, he rose from the dead, proving that he was the Son of God and offering the gift of salvation to all who would repent to turn from their sins and believe in him and live in the way that God had designed them to live. So really, in the most simplest ways, you could say the gospel is Jesus in my place in life and in death. Now, the gospel is good news, but it's only good news if you know the bad news. And the bad news, which is what we learned back in Genesis 3, is that our relationship with God was broken as a result of disobedience. And there was a chasm, a separation that was created between God and man, and it was too vast for us to overcome. And because of Adam's sin, we have all been found to be sinners by by nature, but also sinners by choice. We willfully have turned our back on God. We have become guilty, um, and, and it's because we, we seek answers to questions of identity, questions of purpose, questions of truth, of right and wrong. We try to do that apart from him. And in that pursuit, we're actually quite miserable, but we try to convince ourselves otherwise. And we find ourselves enslaved, we find ourselves addicted, we find ourselves really indebted to God, sentenced to die, unwilling, unable to to pay the, the wages required to save ourselves. Essentially, we seek our own glory and we fall short of God's. Now, the facts of the gospel are found throughout Scripture, but they're found kind of in an ordered form in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8. Paul writes this, Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles, and last of all, as one untimely born, he also appeared to me. Paul says that that this is the most important thing, that which is of first importance. And he didn't make it up. Uh, He didn't necessarily even get taught it. It was received by Revelation, and we read that in Acts 9 from Jesus Christ directly. And so the gospel, as Paul describes it, is this basic truth that by his grace, not because of anything we have done to earn it, deserve it, or learn it, Um, By grace, God reaches out to those who actually refuse to listen, and he shows them love. By grace, he sacrifices his son, the perfect sinless one, crucifying him on a cross for the sins of men, paying the price, price that we couldn't pay. And by grace, through his willing sacrifice, Jesus redeems us, he atones for our sins, and through his resurrection, he frees us from the slavery of darkness and sin, And by grace, through faith in Christ, we're we're justified, right? We're deemed innocent before God. And more than that, we're declared righteous as Jesus' own righteousness is actually credited to our account. No longer under the wrath of God, all of our sins are covered. Evil is defeated. Death is conquered. And as we who were once dead in sin are now made alive through the resurrection of Christ. And so by trusting in what Jesus alone has done on the cross for our salvation, not in anything we can achieve or earn, God makes us holy and blameless without stain or wrinkle or blemish, and we're reconciled with God, and we enter into a relationship with him once again, having been freed from the guilt and the shame, freed to serve Jesus out of a heart of love and gratitude. Like, this is the gospel. This is very different than you might hear from a lot of churches there are certainly gospel preaching churches even in our own community but there's a lot of people who have lost the good news of the gospel or they were those who believed the facts of the gospel but stopped there it's almost as if the gospel is what they believed and then they went on to better things the truth is there is no better thing the greek term gospel or evangelon distinguishes the Christian message from all other religions. And evangel was the news of a great historical event that actually changed the listener's condition and, and just required a response. It was like the victory in a war or the ascension of a new king. So the gospel is news. It's news of what God has done to accomplish salvation through Jesus Christ in history it is not advice about what we must do to reach god or we don't achieve this salvation we accept it and throughout all his letters paul consistently explains exactly what god has done through jesus christ right he lived the life that we should have lived died the death that we deserved now those are the facts of the gospel But not the implications, right? There's so much more to learn from this work that Jesus has accomplished on our behalf, right? He not only saves us, which has so much in that, he also sends us. And so as a church, we express kind of our summarized understanding of these truths by describing ourselves as those who are restored in Christ to restore through Christ. Right? We're restored to restore. So what does that mean as an expression or a summary of the gospel? Well, to say we are restored in Christ means that by grace through faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ, um, he has done more than just save us from hell. He has restored us to who God created us to be. Right? Trusting in Jesus' death on a cross means finding our identity in Jesus' resurrected life. We are what the Bible describes as being born again. And the Bible teaches us in 2 Corinthians 5:17 that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed. Behold, the new has come. Right, we do nothing, and Jesus does everything for us. According to Ephesians 1, he chooses us, he redeems us, he forgives us, he adopts us, he frees us. He blesses us, He fills us with His Spirit, and His Spirit seals us, and then His Spirit sends us. So by the Spirit, through Christ's righteousness, we are granted access into our Heavenly Father's presence as His children. And we're invited to enjoy Him, and we're empowered to glorify Him now and forever. Now, not only, though, are we restored into relationship with God, we are in many ways restored into relationship with ourselves. We're restored into relationship with one another. We are restored into relationship even with the world. And it's not that these relationships become perfect, but we begin to understand what it means to live according to the way of God. Now, that's not all that happens. We are restored in Christ, but we are restored to restore through Christ, right? He restores his people. In order to through them bring more restoration to the world, He saves us and then He sends us. As those who are made in the image of God, we are designed to reflect the greatness of God. And when men rebelled, right, that image was marred, the image was shattered by sin. And even though the image remained somewhat recognizable, it reflected an incomplete picture of God. And through Christ, that image is restored spiritually and over time even restored physically or practically. We, over time, become in practice what we are spiritually in position right now. Slowly by His Spirit, God repairs what is shattered. And slowly by His Spirit, men begin to reflect God again through how they live and how they think and how they speak. The process begins in the heart of the individual and it works itself out in families and in communities of these fellow believers and it overflows into the world. So in addition to being a picture of restoration, we are actually a tool for restoration. The more we grow into these objects of restoration, the more we become these, these tools The more we come to know God, the more we want to and are able to make him known, right? We are restored to restore. Now, as I said, the gospel isn't just the most important aspects, truths, or facts that we memorize and then move on to other Christian things. The gospel isn't just the key to obtaining eternal life. It's actually the power to live our earthly lives. As Tim Keller has written, The gospel is not just the ABCs, but the A to Z of Christianity. The gospel is not just the minimum required doctrine necessary to enter the kingdom, but the way we see the kingdom manifest in our lives here on earth. We're not saved by the gospel and then changed by obedience. The gospel itself transforms us. It's the way we grow. It's how we're renewed. It is the solution to each problem. It is the key to each closed door. It is the power through every barrier. And so we often say that that the gospel and its importance and its place in our life is described this way, that Jesus is the motivation, the model, and the means for living. First, he is the motivation, right? He's the reason for living. There's lots of other motivations we could have for loving one another, for forgiving one another, for doing anything. But the motivation for living as a Christian is that we are responding to all that Christ has done for us. We are not living in order to be accepted. We are not obeying in order to be accepted. We are accepted, and therefore we obey. We have been given life, and therefore we live for the one who saved us. So the motivation is really important. If you don't get the motivation right, as the gospel being the motivation, as your life being a response to the work of God, you will base your life on your work. Your relationship with God will be based on your work. Your relationship with others will be based on your work. We love because he first loved us. We forgive because he's forgiven us. We serve because he served us. Second, we see that Jesus is the model, that he's the example for us. He has not left it a mystery of how we are to live in this life. When Paul tells us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, there is a worthy manner that we can glean from the life of Christ, a life that was sinless, a life that was perfect. In John 13, when he is washing the feet of his disciples, right, washing the feet of his own creations, he says... For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I've done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. In Paul's letter to the Corinthians, he tells us that our whole goal is to be conformed to the image of Christ. And so we have an example to follow as men and women, as husbands and wives, as fathers and mothers, as friends and servants and leaders. Jesus has given us a pattern to aspire to. And yet it's a pretty high standard. It's perfect. And so the last idea that Jesus is also the means gives us some encouragement and some comfort. He has not left us alone to figure this out. He has not left us alone to depend upon our own strength, our own abilities to live according to his way. He has given us a spirit he tells us in the gospel of john that he didn't leave us as orphans that he actually sends his spirit to fill our hearts to help us to teach us to empower us to live according to his ways and so we depend upon him we keep close to jesus we talk to jesus we listen to jesus and jesus helps one of my favorite verses is Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives with me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives through me by his Spirit. Well, lastly, Keller has rightly observed that disbelief in the gospel of grace, what I've just described, disbelief in in what Jesus has done for us, and Jesus as the motivation for everything is the example and the, and the power to, to, to live as God has designed us to live. right? A disbelief in this gospel keeps the unconverted from God. They want to rule their own lives. They don't want to do what's right in their own eyes. But a lack of deep belief in the gospel is also the main cause of spiritual deadness, of fear, and of pride in Christians. You see, contrary to popular belief, we don't just get saved by believing the gospel and then grow by trying hard to live according to biblical principles. Believing the gospel is not only the way to meet God, but it's also the way to grow into him. The gospel needs to go deeper into our hearts. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves Every single day. So this first session was really focused on um, the gospel, its place in our lives as individual, and its place in our church. We believe, as Paul said, it is what is of first importance, and this is why we've started here first. If you have any questions, uh, feel free to email us at uh, elderteam@rdchurch.com. Uh, Or you might be able to find more information about the gospel or church on our website at restorationroadchurch.com.